Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey there, and welcome to today's episode. I'm excited to have you here and be here with you. I'm flying solo today because I am going to talk to you about the OATS test. So I recently did a training in um, basic reading of the OATS test just about a month ago, intro, um, and I just got my OATS test results back this week. And so I wanted to break those down for you and the why, um, why you care about you know, doing something like the OATS test. So, you know, it, it is a functional um, test that, that shows us a lot of different things that I'll explain here in a minute. But the reason that we want to do this kind of testing is because we get to see what's actually going on in your body. Otherwise, we're just guessing. You know, symptoms can mean many, many different things. It can, you know, be several different nutrient deficiencies. Um, you know, one symptom can mean that. So to actually see what's happening in your body, and then we can work with that, right? If it's nutrient deficiencies, we can bring more of those nutrients in, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it was also an interesting experience. I have done all the tests that I utilize with clients, but it's been a minute since I've done some testing. So it was good for me to get a test again and be sort of in that, in the client seat of receiving the information that can be kind of overwhelming sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, there's a lot that these things can tell us and it's kind of scary sometimes to hear what's going on in your body. Um, and it's also, um, yeah, overwhelming some of the changes that need to be made. Um, I will say though, you know, one of the big mindset approaches to this and kind of what I had to click into for myself is really saying, wow, okay, now I have this information. I knew that there was something going on. Um, and so now I have the information to make the changes. And that's really a good thing because otherwise I'm just going along and not feeling my best. And, um, you know, that's, things are just gonna get worse if we don't make changes. And, you know, I'm gonna be very honest with you all today about, you know, some of the, um, the symptoms that I've been dealing with lately because, you know, health is a journey. You know, just because I'm a functional health coach doesn't mean that everything's perfect inside of me. Um, particularly those of us that have had physical trauma, um, I mean, all trauma impacts our health on multiple levels, including, you know, um, our ability to utilize our foods and the nutrients in foods and leaky gut and all of these things. But, you know, particularly in my situation, I did lose half of my colon and eight inches of small intestine. And I could see on this test um, how that's showing up, you know, two and a half, almost two and a half years after I've gotten, uh, I got my ostomy reversed and almost three years since the damage first occurred. So it's, it's going to be a lifelong thing. You know, it's something that I have to um, continuously work with. And I could tell that there were some changes going on in me. Um, just, you know, simply like my, my stool has not been, um, as good as it had been. Um, I'm definitely dealing more with loose stools again, which is very common post 
ostomy um, reversal surgeries, um, just because really the microbiome changes so much. So anyways, that's going to show up on this test. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, and, you know, also there's all, always, you know, some really good things and that showed up on this test for me and I was very pleasantly surprised. And then some other things that it took me a minute to really breathe into and handle and then get excited about taking the next step in my journey. Um, so hopefully that for any of you guys that are doing testing with practitioners or that, you know, are, are working with me or will work with me, you can take some of that in when you get these kinds of results and, you know, really sit in the place of this is giving me the knowledge that I need to truly get better. So what is the OATS test? So the OATS stands for organic acid testing. And there are several different labs that do this kind of testing. Um, even, you know, you guys have heard me talk about the Dutch a lot on here, and it has a small OATS panel as part of it. Um, the OATS test that I um, am utilizing and that I did the training with is through Great Plains Laboratory. And they are really kind of the leader in terms of mold identification in the body, um, environmental toxin um, uh, panel. So I actually did an add-on to my oats panel to see some of the um, environmental toxins that are, are in my body. And that's a whole other thing to go into. Maybe I'll do another episode on that. Um, and, you know, organic, why do we care about organic acid tests and what is it? So basically, you know, we have uh, these compounds that show up in our urine that are metabolites of everything we take in, really, you know, everything that we take in, food, supplements, um, toxins from, you know, from anything from alcohol to like environmental toxins, our body processes that and metabolizes that and then excretes it via sweat, via our urine and via our stool right? These are our main exitory pathways. So this is why, you know, our gut is so important in our health. Um, our liver is so important because it does all the, it's the heavy lifter with, you know, detoxifying things right off the bat and then our kidneys too. And so we want all of those, you know, working as well as they can in order to just keep things moving out of our body that we don't want to be stored in our body because, you know, I already knew this, but this training solidified for me that so much of our, um, our illnesses are due to chemical toxins being stored in our body, a wide variety of chemical toxins. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about that. You know, the oat does not go deep into that, but sort of gives you an indication, um, you know, whether there's stuff going on. So you probably want to do further testing like the environmental tox test. Um, I, uh, yeah, so I did the oat, um, and basically what the oat covers is, so there's kind of two big things I think that a lot of people want to take the oats test for, um, or that practitioners utilize for their clients and, and patients, because there's doctor, doctors use this test also, um, is for molds and for yeast. So it's not going to tell you all the mold. There is another test that you would take based off of the indications of mold on the oat, right? Um, but aspergillus is what it's really looking at um, in a big way on the oat. And so that's a good way to know, okay, I need to dive 
further figure out uh, what molds are in my body, what mycotoxins are, you know, being released from those molds. Um, and then yeast is often connected to mold. And it was fascinating to learn, um, you know, really yeast is just kind of a descendant of mold. <laughs> so they're very intricately connected. And often when you have mold, you have yeast. And for those of you that have had yeast issues for a long time, this like, you know, make a pin in this one. Um, yeast, if you can't get rid of it, it's often an indication that there is a mold issue in your body too. Um, I know that I dealt with yeast for years, um, really, you know, big time in my 20s. I was worried about it in my reversal surgery because uh, I had to take so many antibiotics. I started having yeasty symptoms right before my reversal surgery. Um, so I didn't know how that would all go down. Um, you know, the antibiotics kill all our beneficial bacteria, but it doesn't kill yeast because that's a fungus. So yeast has a chance to proliferate when all that beneficial bacteria is killed by the antibiotics along with the bad bacteria. So, you know, that's why a lot of times women will get yeast infections after a round of antibiotics and why it's so important to bring in probiotics. Um, big debate on when in terms of taking antibiotics, I would personally go with taking probiotics while you're on antibiotics, but opposite ends of the day. That's an aside. Um, so those are the two of the big things that people, you know, gather and use the oat test for. But it also goes into a lot of other, um, you know, uh, aspects that you may not really fine on other testing. So um, it, it dives deep into clostridia, strains of clostridia. Um, and clostridia is basically, you know, um, different bacteria. There's different strains of the clostridia and it's really prevalent in dysbiosis. Um, so gut dysbiosis, things, you know, bad bacteria being too high and beneficial bacteria being too low. Um, most people maybe have heard of C. diff, that's kind of a, um, the shortcut for uh, Clostridia difficile. And this is a really common, um, you know, invasive bacteria that happens post-surgery. It's really unfortunate because a lot of times people will have to do, it's just multiple rounds of antibiotics and just have crazy amounts of diarrhea. And it's, as far as I know, still the only thing that is, um, allowed by the FDA to do a fecal matter transplant here in the United States um, if you have C. diff that does not respond to antibiotics. I think you have to take several rounds before you're allowed to do that, but um, they found fecal matter transplants, something like 90% of the time will help um, with C. diff. So the, you know, there's multiple strains of this clostridia and oat is looking at that, but it's good to know if C. diff is an issue for you. Um, it also looks at oxalates. And so this is a really fascinating thing. You may, you know, I feel like people have been talking about like histamine and oxalates lately. It's like kind of the big thing. If you have delved into any, uh, carnivore, you know, uh, groups or, or discussions or podcasts, um, people talk a lot about oxalates and what's called oxalate dumping, um, when you go on the carnivore diet. And what oxalates are, are basically these compounds, chemical compounds in plants, in some of what we consider the healthiest foods out there, you know? Um, and unfortunately, I mean, 
they're called sometimes an anti-nutrient. And this is what I, you know, uh, have to explain to people a lot in terms of plant foods, not always being the best for everyone, um, or, you know, an over abundance of them. Um, so basically plants, you know, they want to survive, they want to protect themselves. And so they have what is called anti-nutrients, um, which helps essentially protect them. Like, you know, the reason that you see, you know, seeds co come out in the toilet is because they have this protection, um, you know, phytates that help protect. So they're not broken down in your body because they want to come out the other side and be planted in the ground and spawn forward. Right. Um, and so oxalates are considered one of these anti-nutrients that essentially are protective of the plant, but are not great for us. They bind to calcium in the body and they can create, um, uh, basically these, you know, oxalate crystals that are dropped in our tissues, really all over. Um, the sort of worst case scenario is when um, this happens in your kidneys and calcium deposits in there and then lo and behold, you have kidney stones. So this is why we care about oxalates. Um, it can cause a ruckus in many different ways. It can cause a lot of inflammation in the body. It can um, impact our hormones. It can impact our thyroid. Oxalate crystals can actually be deposited in our thyroid. Um, so, you know, it is something that's um, important to know if you've kind of tried a lot of stuff and you're still not feeling fantastic, um, you know, I don't really recommend trying a low oxalate diet just on its own because it's not a super easy diet if you like plant foods. Um, I would recommend testing and seeing how your oxalates are doing. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that as we get into my oat test. Um, it also covers how some of your B vitamins are doing and your glutathione, which are all very important for your detox mechanisms in your body talk a lot about, you know, both of these components for um, estrogen detox, you need enough of the B vitamins and glutathione um, to be able to, you know, properly methylate and really what your phase two liver detox is looking like. Um, and a lot of us are low on those. For those of you that have had an ostomy or have had some kind of um, diminishment of your small intestine, particularly the, the last part of your small intestine, which is called the terminal ileum, um, we can have a harder time absorbing. That's where we absorb our, our B vitamins. So it's not, you know, uncommon, to, especially with B12, to have a lower amount if you have lost some of your terminal ileum. So just keep that in mind. Um, and, you know, these B vitamins are super important. Um, the oat also shows us some of the neurotransmitters, which is, you know, all of this stuff is really interconnected. And this is what I love about this, this test. And, um, you know, particularly the pharmaceutical approach to things like anxiety and depression can be helpful. Um, but there is, a, there is a physical underlying cause going on, you know, majority of the time. And if we don't, see that and we don't know that and we don't um, work with that, then we're really missing a big component of why we have depression happening, you know? Um, and it, it's, it's not simple. It's not, you know, a one and done kind of thing. Don't get me wrong. Like you have to take a very holistic approach to 
depression and anxiety. I'm not against meds, um, particularly in some cases, like it's the only thing that's going to get you out of bed, do it, you know? Um, and to know what your neurotransmitters are looking like, um, and what may be impacting them is really helpful because it's only going to, um, help in the process of your body getting those neurotransmitters that it needs, um, in order to, to have sort of, you know, more stable mental state. So that's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, you're, you're listening to this cause you're into hormones. So you may be wondering, well, what exactly does this test have to do with hormones? And, you know, as I mentioned, knowing how your detox is doing is really important. Um, how your liver is doing. And there's markers on here that really can show you a lot about that because we want to be detoxing your hormones well too, particularly estrogen because of the estrogen dominant situation that is so, so common for women. Um, particularly as we get into perimenopause, you know, and I've talked so much on this podcast. So if you've listened for a while, you know how important gut health is for hormone health. So if you have, you know, gut dysbiosis going on, you're going to have inflammation in your body, which is going to directly impact your hormones and it's going to raise your cortisol. And, you know, the thing about cortisol, which is released by the adrenals, um, if your body is focusing on that cortisol production and, um, you know, being in that sympathetic nervous system all the time, it's going to downregulate your sex hormone production. And we see this a lot with particularly lowered progesterone. So you got to take care of your adrenals if you want your sex hormones to do well. And so you got to make sure inflammation's down in your body if you want your adrenals to be taken care of. Um, what else? Let's see. Um, oxalates, you know, can definitely play an issue with leaky gut too. Um, and they also can impair the, um, methylation or phase two detox. So, you know, we hear all this stuff about like drink green smoothies and that in some cases may be kind of the worst thing to do for your hormones. If you have an issue with oxalates and I'll talk more about that here as we dive in. All right, so I'm gonna share the test for those that are watching this. And if you're listening and you want to uh, see what the test looks like, you can go to my YouTube channel. Um, I'll put the link in the notes, but it's just you know Christine Garvin and you can see the test there. Um, but I'll try and explain things really well. So if you are just listening to the podcast that you can get you know as much information as you can. Okay. I'm gonna do a little share screen here. Share. Okay, so hopefully you are seeing the Great Plains Laboratory test here. I'm gonna go down this information a little bit. So um, this first page is really about the yeast and the mold that I mentioned that is so important for this test and why so many people want this test. So this whole first section is yeast and fungal markers. Um, so you'll see the aspergillus here on, you know, uh, four of them. Um, so those are really related to mold. Um, and then I believe so I'm not positive that this one also is related to mold, while the other ones are more yeast. Um, so Arabinose is kind of the big one to look for in terms of yeast. 
Um, at first, when I looked at this, I was like, uh oh, I'm high. I'm actually not high. Um, I am within the range here, but it's just something to kind of keep an eye on. You know, um, I was very happy to not have any mold markers high. I was, you know, a little bit concerned with the possibility of yeast being high. Um, but again, this is just something like, okay, it could come out to play if, if, you know, I let, I let my guard down, let's put it that way. Um, but it's not actually elevated, um, in this situation, which I was very happy about. Um, the next section is bacterial markers of which I am, you know, doing well, um, a little bit low on the beneficial bacteria, which is not surprising. I am still really rebuilding my gut. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, I probably will be for a while. And I have gone back and forth between some eradication protocols and, um, you know, kind of focusing on beneficial bacteria. And I just really um, am finding, and this is another little note for people that do have, uh, you know, um, had an ostomy, have an ostomy, um, have probably any kind of complication with their intestine from, you know, UC to Crohn's or any of this. Um, I, I think too long of eradication is not a good idea, even if you are taking beneficial bacteria while doing the eradication. Um, there needs to be some breaks and some real focus on rebuilding, which is what I am getting into right now, because I can tell with how, you know, my stool has changed recently um, and some of the other symptoms that are up that it's really time to focus on that. And you can see in the next section for those that are watching that um, my, I'm not going to really attempt to say this because it's a really tough word. Um, well, I'll try. Hydro hydrozenophilactic, <laughs> the four hydrophilanolactic, this is definitely not my forte if you can't already tell, um, which oversees um, C. diff, as I mentioned earlier, and then several other strains of Clostridia is high at 111. Um, the reference range high end is 19. So it's high, you know, it's not like 900, but it's high. Um, so, you know, looking at that, first off, I could be like, well, shit, do I have C. diff, you know? Um, but this four Cressel um, down here, number 17, that is the specific C. diff one. So luckily that is not high. So I'm grateful for that. Um, what, you know, these things mean essentially when this marker is high is a couple of possibilities. So it can be SIBO, um, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that is something that I have been nervous about, to be honest with you, because I lost my ileocecal valve, which is the valve between the small intestine and the colon. And it kind of, you know, acts as um, a holder of your food until your colon is ready, right? So keep things um, sort of in that small intestine until it's ready to go into the colon. And the bacteria of the colon is very different than the bacteria of the small intestine. You know, as far as we know at this point, there shouldn't be a ton of bacteria hanging out in your small intestine. Things move pretty fast there. You know, the bacteria should be more in your colon. And 
what can happen in SIBO is that bacteria from the colon backs up into the small intestine. Um, and basically you end up having this overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine where it shouldn't be. If you've lost your ileocecal valve like I have, then you know there's no, uh, there's no door there to protect bacteria from moving from my colon back into my small intestine. So I feel like this is something that I'm gonna have to pay attention to for my lifetime. Um, unfortunately, the realities of medical trauma, you know, I just want to remind people that medical trauma is a real thing um, that happens. I think it's the third biggest killer in our country in the United States. Um, not trying to scare people off of surgery. Sometimes you have to have surgery, but it, it, I think it's really not talked about enough how much damage is done to people. And that's just deaths. You know, when I talk about third most common death. Um, there's lots of people that have had medical injuries that are still here and kicking and we're dealing with it for the rest of our lives. So that's legit. Um, I don't think I have SIBO. Um, I don't really have any of the other sort of common SIBO uh, issues. So um, I, you know, one of the other reasons that this clostridia will be high for people um, these clostridia strains is because of ileocecal resection, which is essentially what I had, right? That just means ileocecal is just like a connection between um, that, your small intestine and your colon. So between all the antibiotics that I had to take, I was on two weeks of IV antibiotics, 10 days of, you know, oral antibiotics after that, and then another 10 days of oral antibiotics after I had my reversal surgery. Plus they more than, I think they used antibiotics in the surgeries themselves, because they usually do prophylactically. I mean, that's a lot of antibiotics. And I just want to stress to people, it, it is not easy to bounce back from antibiotics. It really isn't. Sometimes you got to take them, but like when you've had multiple, multiple rounds of antibiotics in your lifetime, it's really hard to get your um, beneficial bacteria up to the levels that it, it needs to be. And so this is where taking a good, you know, quality probiotic and really switching out good quality probiotics so that you get different strains over time is really important. And so I think that this marker is high for me because of, um, because of my resection and all the antibiotics that I had to take and I'm still needing to up that beneficial bacteria. So that's why I'm focusing now on um, really build, building it back up, you know, with multiple strains um, and some in particular that will be good for short chain um, fatty acid production. Um, very helpful for the gut too. Okay, so the other ones are good, which made me happy. So all in all, page one, I was pretty happy. I mean, of course I wasn't excited about the clostridia being high, um, but I was very happy for mold and yeast to not be an issue. And let's hop on down to uh, the page three, technically. Here we are, uh, first section looking at oxalates. So, you know, I talked a lot about this in the beginning and lo and behold, I do have high oxalic acid. I'm at 152 where the high end is 101. So, you know, it's not like crazy, crazy high again, but it's high enough. Um, and then I also have high glyceric, which means 
that um, I have a genetic predisposition to not dealing with oxalates. So this was definitely news to me. Um, I have, you know, histamine hasn't been an issue for me. Um, I didn't necessarily think that oxalates was an issue for me. I, I don't have, you know, the kind of joint pain that often can come with it. My kidneys have, there's been some, you know, definitely when I go to acupuncturists and stuff, uh, there's kidney deficiency sometimes. So maybe that's sort of how it's showing up, but knock on wood, I have not had kidney stones. That doesn't mean that there's not calcium deposits happening. My one sort of indication of this, and, and I want to just speak to this because this is where I, it's so important for each of us to, you know, um, get to know our bodies and then trust our intuition because our bodies will speak to us, right? And you may not always know what it means right away, but like keep, keep you know, track of that and try and talk to somebody that might be able to, to help you with it um, about... I don't know, a few months after my reversal surgery, I had um, one of my teeth in the back, just like a little piece cracked off. And I've never had anything like that happen before. And automatically I was like, oh my God, I must be low on calcium, you know? Um, and what's fascinating right now, right? Everybody's talking about magnesium, like you need to take all the magnesium and don't take calcium because, um, you know, I mean, for good reason, most of us are low in magnesium. We need it for like 300 processes in our body. Um, and you need enough magnesium for your body to utilize calcium correctly. But you can still get too much magnesium without getting enough calcium too. And it, it obviously depends on what's happening in your body. But in a situation where you have high oxalates, you're not absorbing calcium because oxalates bind to calcium, right? So um, I basically had this situation happen where my tooth broke off, um, small part of it, and it was really a sign like, um, I don't have enough calcium going on. And I didn't really know the why. And so this is kind of an explanation of why, because those oxalates have been binding to that calcium. So I'm not able to, able to utilize that calcium. Um, so, you know, I, Calcium and magnesium work together um, very closely. They're kind of like the yin and the yang um, of the electrolytes. Um, and then uh, like potassium and sodium work together really you know, closely too. I won't go into all the specifics around that right now, um, but again, you, you need to make sure that there's a balance going on there. So I had already started taking some calcium and magnesium together but now that I know that I have high oxalates, the, one of the ways that you deal with that is you actually take calcium citrate with meals because that will help um, in terms of uh, that not having the oxalates bind to your calcium as much. Um, and so, you know, basically helping to break down the oxalates more. And then magnesium citrate also can help with that too. So I'll be doing both of those. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, like really getting that calcium in at each meal. The other way that I'm tackling this is via um, low oxalate diet. So, you know, uh, I will say just as an aside for people that are taking the oats, a lot of times um, high yeast will correlate with high oxalate, molds will correlate with high oxalate. We know from page one that I don't have an issue with either of those. So it really comes down to, I think, genetics for me. And um, what the glyceric 
one indicates um, versus the, the glycolic is glyceric indicates a particular um, genetic SNP that, um, that essentially isn't as common of um, kidney stone formation. Like, you know, crystals will end up in the kidneys, but it's not necessarily going to be um, formed into stones. I'm trying to find, let me look at my notes right here. Um, da, 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 da. I thought I wrote it down, but oh, here it is. So basically, the in case you're curious about the genetics of it, it's uh, genetic hyperoxylaria. <laughs> I butcher these names, I apologize. Hyperoxylaria type 2. And so that's what the glyceric is connected to versus the glycolic is connected to type 1, where kidney stone formation is much more common. Um, so basically, I'm genetically deficient in this enzyme called AGXT. I'm not going to attempt to um, say what the actual name is. Um, and so that leads to higher than normal oxalate levels. So I have to, I have to do the diet. I have to go a lot low oxalate diet. Um, oxalates can impact thyroid function. I've definitely had issues with subclinical hypothyroidism since at least my 20s. And I've definitely had more issues with my thyroid since my surgeries. Um, so it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, yeah. So what does a low oxalate diet look like? Oh man, it takes out some of my favorite foods. <laughs> so spinach, you know, this is why the green smoothie is not always a good idea um, for everyone. So spinach is high in oxalates. Um, soy is high in oxalate nuts. And I love, you know, cashews, um, pecans, walnuts, things like that. Um, I think almonds is one of the worst offenders when it comes to oxalates. Um, I got to cut out chocolate. I got to cut out, I don't really drink much of it, but black tea. Some of the other teas are, it's kind of a debate, but are, tend to be lower on oxalates. Um, and, you know, some of the other veggies that I love, potatoes, sweet potatoes. Um, yeah, those are kind of a big focus of, of what I need to take out. Um, and, really sit down and kind of look at some of the other lists of, of high oxalate foods, because there's like, as I mentioned, kind of a big debate on some of these different foods and how much oxalates that they have. Um, kale, for example, there's a big debate. Some people say it's high. Some people say it's not so high. Um, I'll probably try and stay away from, from that for a little while. And um, yeah, really focus on getting that calcium in too at the same time. And hoping that that brings you know my oxalates down to a normal place. And since I do know that I have this genetic predisposition, it is something that I'm going to have to pay attention to for the long haul. Not an easy thing to learn. And um, you know now I know. Now I can work with that and feel better. So I'm excited about that. Um, Hopefully I'm excited to see if it impacts my thyroid in any kind of way to, to really, you know, bring that thyroid levels up um, and uh, thyroid function, I'd say, up um, and bring inflammation down because there's, you know, definitely inflammation um, probably in my gut more than anything else. I can feel it right now. I don't really have so much joint pain, which I, I feel lucky about. Um, but just as a side note, Oxalates can also trap heavy metals and keep them in the body. 
Um, I definitely feel like there's some heavy metal stuff happening for me. Um, so that's interesting. It can also be a contributing factor to anemia. This was something fascinating that I found because a lot of my clients have anemia, you know, and some for good reason because they have fibroids that they bleed tremendously. And, you know, that's going to be a huge factor, obviously, in anemia. But a lot of women have anemia, you know, and there's multiple reasons for this, but this can be one possible reason. So if you've kind of like checked off all the other possibilities, you know, you might oxalate might be an issue for you. Um, just as a little quick aside for those of you that have children that have autism, and um, I know that you have done all the, you know, research in the world around this and, and um, don't necessarily want to hear any kind of um, recommendations, but there was a study done by the, um, the doctor that runs Great Plains Labs, um, where he found that 84% of children on the autistic spectrum had oxalate values outside the normal range. So it may just be worth, um, if you haven't looked into oxalates for your autistic child, um, and, you, and you want to, you know, I mean, I know that there's definitely some, um, you know, moms out there, like, I mean, their your children are wonderful no matter what, and they don't need, you know, fixing. Um, so this may not be information that you need. And for those that are interested, that is something, you know, worth checking into. Uh, let's see. Okay, so I kind of covered the majority of what's important about oxalates um, in this situation. Um, as I mentioned, you know, if my yeast was high, if my mold's high, that was a that'd be a whole other like can of worms to dive into. Um, these next sections I'm doing pretty good on, which made me um, happy. I do have a uh, low to low normal, I guess this would probably be considered like low normal uh, levels of citric acid. And so this section is all about the mitochondrial markers, which mitochondria is like our energy powerhouses. Like when things are going right in, you know, thyroid and lots of other systems, like we really want to look to the mitochondria um, because if our energy is low, often that mitochondria needs, needs a little bit of a boost and it's um, impacted by so many things, including all these sort of toxins and chemicals that, that we face on a daily basis, the onslaught. Um, so I, um, have low normal to low normal levels of citric acid, and this can be due to a few different things. So I'll just, you know, speak to, can be because of, uh, impaired function of the Krebs cycle, um, low dietary intake of citric containing foods, such as citrus fruits and juices, potassium deficiency, acidosis, chronic kidney failure, diabetes, hypoparathyroidism, or excessive muscle activity. So I'm going to be really honest um, here. I know this is outside of the purview of some people, but I do utilize muscle testing um, for my clients that are interested in it and also for myself. And so I muscle tested to see which of these were connected to the low normal citric acid. And for me, it came up uh, Krebs cycle, uh, low dietary intake of citric containing foods and acidosis. Um, so essentially it's metabolic acidosis. So my system, you know, my blood is too acid. Um, it needs to be more alkaline. And uh, that's a whole can of worms that I won't step into right now, but just that's that's what showed up for me. Um, 
as, as the why. So, you know, really looking into those different aspects. Um, and this is why, you know, these tests can be so fascinating because you really dive into and make connections um, with these, you know, different aspects of your body. So moving on to the next section, I am um, slightly elevated in the 3-hydroxyglutaric um, acid and essentially that points to more to the mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, and, you know, so going back to, uh, you know, impaired function of Krebs cycle um, is probably part of why this shows up. Um, and so if it's higher, if this marker is higher, it often indicates genetic disease. Um, but since mine's just slightly elevated, it's probably more um, mitochondrial dysfunction. So my mitochondria are like, help me out, Christine. <laughs> Think about me more. Um, and I will say that I, you know, uh, one of the things that I'm doing for that is I ordered a, um, a supplement that is basically overall good support of the mitochondria um, and has things like um, CoQ10 in it, um, acetyl L-carnitine, L-carnitine, um, some other good stuff. You know, there's lots of different products out there. Right now, this one just felt, um, I muscle tested strong for it and it felt the most comprehensive. Um, you know, another good one is Mito ATP from Cellcore. Um, lots of good stuff out there to help support your mitochondria. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, so they recommend the treatment that, you know, the lab recommends is L-carnitine or acetyl-L-carnitine. And so, you know, as I mentioned, um, this supplement that I ordered has both of those in there. Um, it, this high number can also be connected to high clostridia or high oxalate. So, you know, lots of different connections. Also, I have not been absorbing fats well, and I can tell that in terms of my skin has been, you know, particularly dry. And I, your gallbladder is a big, big thing. Like if you have, if you're doing, you know, all the things and you're taking fish oil um, and you still have dry skin, um, look to your gallbladder. So, you know, basically you need the emulsification of the bile acids that your gallbladder releases in order to break down fats and utilize them. And ever since my surgeries, I have had um, some issues there. You know, there was a moment where I was like, did they take my gallbladder out and didn't tell me? I don't, they, they didn't, but um, I did have a massive abscess underneath my liver and gallbladder in the latter part of being in the hospital. Actually, it was a horrible situation where this resident had to come in to tell me and he like whips out his phone and shows me my CT scan, you know, on his phone. And he's like, Hey, this is your liver, which was like kind of tiny. And then he was like, this is the major abscess infection that is underneath it, pushing up on it. And I was actually supposed to get out of the hospital that day after being there, you know, for two weeks, AKA a lifetime. Cause I did not sleep at all. Um, I just started bawling. Cause I was like, Oh my God, am I going to have to go back in surgery? Like, I'm just going to keep on having these infections. And poor guy, he was just like, his eyes just got really big and he didn't know what to do. And I guess word passed around of my reaction because the, you know, the, um, sort of main doctor, I guess, um, came in later and she said, Hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, something like this is pretty common after what you've been through. You, you know, don't have to go into more surgery. 
we're just going to drain it. Um, but, you know, essentially I ended up having this drain in with me inside of me while I was in the hospital and for several weeks after. So I think that there was probably some damage to my liver and gallbladder, um, even if it's just scar tissue. So they just don't, you know, they need a little extra support. Um, and so, uh, you know, getting for me, even though I have my gallbladder, getting bile acids in, and then I got some um, Tudka, which is really helpful um, to support the gallbladder too. So hopefully we can get my skin to be not so dry, get it all pretty again. Um, let's see. Next up, we've got the uh, neurotransmitter. So I talked about this early on, how really important it is to understand how our neurotransmitters are doing. Um, and I will be honest with you, I haven't been depressed lately, but I've had kind of um, sort of this blah feeling and, you know, life brings us that sometimes. It's not out of the ordinary in any kind of way. And it's good to see what's happening in terms of my neurotransmitters because they are connected. You know, it is connected to how my emotional state is. So um, my HVA, you know, it, it looks okay on here, which is um, the dopamine metabolite. I'm at two and the reference range is 0.8 to 3.6. So it looks okay. But what is actually the case, if it's below what's called the mean, which is that sort of middle point, then it does indicate that I have lowered dopamine going on. Um, same thing with the VMA here, which is metabolite of norepinephrine and epinephrine. Um, so both of those are, you know, below the mean. The um, VMA is actually, you know, on the low end, um, straight up. And then I also have, um, let's see, the uh, low H, um, 5-HIAA, which is connected, is a metabolite of serotonin. So, you know, I can look here and see, well, okay, so I've, I've got some, um, some lower neurotransmitters happening. Um, so lots of different possible, um, you know, reasons for this from the lower absorption of dopamine's precursor amino acids. And those are like phenylalanine and tyrosine. Um, and, you know, again, for people that are listening that have had an ostomy or have had work done, even if you've um, had like bypass surgery or anything, you do have to pay attention because you're not absorbing nutrients as well. So, you know, those things that I just mentioned are all high in meat. Um, you have to have enough HCL to break down that meat well so that you can absorb. But then if you're missing part of your bowels, it's gonna be harder. So this is not, you know, super like crazy out of the blue, even though I do, lots of things to support my system on a daily basis. Um, also, there's other reasons like decreased vitamin B6, which I'll get to here in a minute, um, and decreased amounts of cofactors like SAMe. Um, there's also genetic variations, and this is where, you know, doing some genetic testing can be super, super cool because you get to see what they call, um, you know, these variations or SNPs, because all of us have some, you know, that are impacting um, our ability to metabolize certain things and to utilize um, certain nutrients. Um, so I muscle tested that B6 will help with this and um, that I do actually have genetic mutations that impact 
dopamine production, which doesn't surprise me because I definitely did deal with depression um, as a teenager um, and at different points in my 20s for sure. Um, so, you know, here we are in the genes again, right? Um, and how do we support that? So B6 is a really big one. Um, in terms of the lowered serotonin, I'm gonna do some 5-HTP to see how that goes. Um, side note, B6 is super, super important for hormones in terms of your estrogen, um, you know, too much estrogen, estrogen dominant situation, and also in support of progesterone productions. Um, it also helps to reduce histamines that can contribute to PMS. And it's super important with blood sugar balance, which we know is key to cortisol regulation. So B6 is super important. It's also super important you don't get too much of it. So, you know, work with a practitioner around supplementing that. Um, let's see, what is next? I jumped around on here. Um, okay, so next page, I think that's the important stuff on that page. The next page um, that is, is worth noting something is the um, ketone and fatty acid oxidation section. So, you know, this is very interesting because it basically uh, comes down to, um, uh, excuse me, if you are on keto, like these are gonna be higher, right? I'm not on keto. Um, I do eat a decent amount of fat, but probably not enough to impact these numbers in this way. So I do have high 3-hydroxybutyric acid and also high acetoatic acid um, and, you know, quite elevated. So the 3-hydroxybutyric is high end should be 3.1 and I'm at 26. The acetacetic <laughs> is uh, high end should be 10 and I'm at 167. So um, really, you know, this probably comes down to once again, um, an issue with my fat absorption abilities. Um, you know, I'm burning through these fatty acids and I'm just not absorbing the fats very well. So this is where I'm focusing on um, bile acids and the tudka in order to support that breakdown of fat and utilization of fat and getting my skin nice and um, you know, supple, supple again. Um, and you know, that will most likely bring this numbers down because I'm actually utilizing the fat properly. Um, and then the, I have high seborrheic. Um, this apparently is very normal on this test because it's consistent with an overnight fast, um, which, you know, I didn't eat for 12 hours before taking this test. Um, also acetyl-L-carnitine is helpful in this situation too. So I've already got that covered. Um, and then let's dive down into the nutritional marker section. So this goes into the B vitamins, as I mentioned earlier, um, plus vitamin C, vitamin CoQ10, glutathione and biotin. Did I miss the glutathione section? Um, I, let's see. It's coming up next, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. So um, basically, um, you know, I was very happy that my B12 was up because that's something that, as I mentioned earlier, is not necessarily um, absorbed as well when you miss part of your colon. And just a lot of people are low on B12. Um, and I do think that I have some genetic predisposition 
uh, a genetic SNP that doesn't allow me to work it as well, but I have been taking um, some B12, methylated B12. So that's obviously doing well. Um, lo and behold, I'm low on B6. And, you know, several of the issues that I have, several markers being high, a huge part of that is being low on B6. So I'm excited. I got a B6 complex that is inclusive of some of these other B vitamins that are, are lower too. Um, and, you know, methylated versions um, when necessary. Um, in terms of vitamin C, it's totally normal for it to be low on this test because um, it has a half-life of six hours. So if you have fasted overnight, then you you know, essentially don't have any vitamin C that's going to be kicking in your urine um, or the metabolites aren't going to be kicking in your urine. Um, so that's, I'm not too worried about that. My CoQ10 is low, which um, wasn't super surprising either. So that I incorporated in that, um, that mito support. Um, the the NAC here, which is the uh, precursor to glutathione, that can also be low at zero like it is for me because um, it's converted. It needs to be converted to be used as glutathione. So it's totally fine that it, it lands here at zero. It just means, you know, the conversions happened. Um, so yeah, that's where we're looking at in terms of the B markers. And just as a note for those that are watching this, um, and if you take those tests, they have several markers where they're, uh, they have a little asterisk and they say, you know, high value for this marker may indicate a deficiency of this vitamin. So it's something to, you know, pay attention to even with vitamin B2 here. I mean, I'm within, um, you know, the broad range, but it's still a little bit high. And so that's not that I necessarily have too high of that uh, of B2, but rather that I have too low of B2. Uh, next page is our glutathione. Um, so my glutathione is doing pretty well on the whole, although my um, methylation, which is like an aspect of uh, the glutathione, um, uh, the use of glutathione essentially is right at the high end of the reference of the sort of broad range reference range. So, um, you know, basically just knowing that like I'm using up that glutathione, so I, I need it <laughs> um, and keeping it going. And I do take glutathione. Um, I go back and forth between taking glutathione and NAC, its precursor. Um, and sometimes I take both at the same time. Um, my liver definitely needs a lot of love. You know, I think that there was issues genetically before. And then as I mentioned, going through, you know, the surgeries, it's made it even more of a need. Um, ladies that are in your forties, I guarantee your liver needs some extra love too. I put all of my clients on some sort of liver support. Um, so finally, we're coming to the end here. The amino acid metabolites are all sort of, you know, low or within range. Um, and this is, it's kind of normal for them to show up that way. It's more of a concern if they are high, um, it can mean different things. So, um, the mineral metabolism of phosphoric, it, there's a little bit, um, a little bit low here in terms of, um, phosphate, um, not too concerned about it, but, um, you know, that may be due to some of the processes in my body, not sort of working as well as they can. 
just for those that are watching, you can see if you jump down here, um, it goes into interpretation. That's actually pretty good. Not all tests have like great interpretations, but this one um, gives you a lot of reasons um, of why you have high or low of the numbers that you're high or low in and also um, ways to deal with that. So, you know, that was very helpful. I'd still work with somebody on this test um, and taking this test. I think you have to order it through a practitioner anyway, but um, definitely someone to assess it because there's lots of connections as I talked about here, um, you know, that just a sort of printing out of the descriptions aren't gonna tell you. So you really wanna be able to connect the, you know, mold and the yeast to the clostridia and um, to the neurotransmitters and all of these things. And so you guys, that was the um, big discussion of my oats test. And I hope that it was helpful for you. I hope that, um, you know, that you found um, some use and some connections between maybe something that's happening with you um, and maybe how this test can help you. I am, you know, bringing it into the fold in terms of what I utilize with clients because it really um, gives us such a wealth of information. It's pretty, pretty amazing as, as you can see and can hear from today's episode. Um, if you have any questions, you know, shoot me an email. Um, I'm, you know, just diving more and more into this test and, and all the things that it can and do and, and tell you. So um, feel free to shoot me an email and I am going to leave you with that. Um, it's always good to be here with you guys. I'm excited about some things that are to come that I will be letting you know about over the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do that now so you don't miss a single episode. And I'm super, super grateful for, you know, people that leave reviews. Um, I know it takes a minute. Sometimes you have to sign up, you know, on iTunes and everything. Um, but so helpful, you know, I, I do this as a labor of love. Um, I love doing it, but it definitely takes, you know, time and energy and preparation and all these things. And so those reviews are such a good, powerful gift um, for me to receive from you. Um, it helps the podcast grow. It also, you know, helps me to know like, oh, are people really, you know, getting something from this? So I really appreciate it with all my heart. I will see you next week and I hope you have a great one. Bye.